Hello. 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 Hi. Hello. Hi. 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 Hi, Anna. Hello, Anna. Hello, B. Welcome to Bringing Up the Queer. I'm Anna Surma. And I'm B. Come with your bruise in hand. We'll have jokes in our back pocket as we tackle any number of topics that we're definitely somewhat qualified to talk about. How spontaneous. How beautifully spontaneous. Did you just come up with that? I did. I did just come up with that. Exactly. Just like I will for the next episode as well. Funny. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely, lovely rhyme in there as well, Anna. Great job. Oh, thank you. You know, it's our backgrounds and poets really let us notice these things. <laughs> our, our, practice. Our, our practice. Our art practice. It's all good practice. Yes, of course. It's the praxis of practice. So, so my name's B. I'm a multidisciplinary artist. I, after the length of your last one, I just assumed we were going to go for a lot longer. <laughs> Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm I be a me 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 and I I I and I did all these great things. Who said trans people were vain and self obsessed? <laughs> trans people did. <laughs> <laughs> I said it. I said everything. I yeah. I, I am the originator. <laughs> God, all of this is unusable. <laughs> that is brilliant. That is brilliant. <laughs> so today we are going to be ruminating on obsession yeah i think it's a subject that comes up a lot when we talk with each other not just because we are constantly obsessed with the next thing but because the mechanics of obsessions are interesting to us too yeah Uh, you've known me for a long time and you've known that i i tend to get very very obsessed with something and throw myself completely into it and absorb all the information about it and it becomes a huge part of who i am uh, yeah, I think that'd be a really interesting point to talk about, actually, is obsessions and identity. So obviously being trans, you wonder sometimes, like, are your obsessions appropriate? Or being queer, like, are your obsessions appropriate? Like, a lot of queer people I know are obsessed with things. And the things that they tend to be obsessed with are things that maybe the, that the straight world might be a bit like, oh, that's a bit odd. Be it focusing on childhood cartoons, uh, be it focusing on, like, extreme kink mushrooms oh love mushrooms you know um i mean personally one of my obsessions at the moment is the straightest thing i've ever done which is cycling i have entered the fullest of dad modes i mean the mechanics of that obsession for me it's definitely been it's lockdown dear god please get me somewhere that's not this and also gains love the gains gains. (laughs) Yeah, I, I've become obsessed as well with fitness during this time. Like, mm. not in the sense of, you know, that meme of like, I've done so many things during lockdown, check me out, aren't I great? I'm not a failure. But but in the sense of, I've, I've really struggled with my, with my mental health during lockdown. I do want you to know it's just you that's experiencing that. Obviously, obviously. You should feel alone in that. <laughs> Thank you. I might go and stand on my balcony and clap for myself. <laughs> I've really struggled with my mental health through a lot of my life and I've found that channeling some of that energy that sits in my head into something kinetic just really, really helps. I think as well the endorphins after I've done something. I, so I think this is an interesting thing. And when you started talking about uh, obsession and identity, the thing that came to my mind is um, how we define ourselves by what we love. 
obsession comes in part and parcel of that for me and i think it does for you as well like the things that i love i'm usually obsessed about be that music films art people (laughs) people and um these things form a part of my identity so i'd actually like to talk about one particular obsession that i've had recently if that's okay with you yeah of course i do feel like i need to come out to the world and so i hope you listen with an open heart and judge not before you hear my reasoning because i need to tell you that i I'm a sugar babes obsessive. I was so surprised. <laughs> <laughs> what a dramatic build up. I'm not an obsessive, but I am a fan. I believe you've been an obsessive. I have been, yeah. I, I'm over it now. <laughs> Mostly. <laughs> Until I start talking to you again. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my God, yeah. Hey, for an introduction, I think it might be a good idea for us to play one of the best sugar babes songs, which is their first single, Overload. Oh, it's good. It's a good song, that. <laughs> oh, God, I love it so much. What do you love about it? So in terms of the production, I think it's a really interestingly produced song. I'm not a heavy lover of guitar sounds, but I think it does enough. And it's also like pulsing and weird and young and odd. And pop music has taken some strange turns in the past 20 years. But there is something a little bit magical about the era of the... Timberland produced track of the Elias of the Beyonce's of the Destiny's Childs that has something inherently a little bit camp, a little bit broken, and a little bit fun. Their, their voices sound so young. So young. I mean, they were 16 at the time of recording, right? 15 or 16. I think so, yeah. And their voices just sound so clean, you know? And you can really hear how good their voices were as well. Some of the flourishes that you get in the bridge and at the end in a situation and beautiful flourishes, really great. Like, and the video is, is really funny. <laughs> the video is really... It's a Benetton ad because none of them could dance at this point. Yeah. It, they have a look in their eyes, which is really knowing as well. That's like, we know this is ridiculous. And, they, and the spirits of Mucha just seems to be laughing at what's going on. Well, that's just it. Yeah, it's not seems to be is genuinely like, like Mutia has always been like, yeah, I'm being put through a machine, but I know what I'm doing. I'm a person. And that is, that is some inimitable level of cool that has always made us so appealing to me. Yeah, they. I, I always thought that they were... There was always... So, yeah, they were really... They, I thought all of them were cool. Like Mutia was always my favourite. But definitely that 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 original lineup. So I think for 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 people that might be listening to this that don't know a lot about the Sugar Babes, why why don't you talk like it's clear you're obsessed? Come on, share it, let it out. So what I'm going to do is give you a brief overview of the history, and then I'm going to explain why I'm obsessed. Very very briefly, they were formed after Siobhan and uh, Mutia entered a talent show. I think when they were fourteen. 
they added Keisha, who was uh, Mutti's friend from school. And by the time they were 16, they had a Brit-nominated single, which is the song that you've just heard. Uh, a single of the year, I think they were nominated for. But they didn't win it. They did not win it, no. Uh, by 2003, what? their lineup had changed because Siobhan had left. There's this wonderful rumour that she climbed out of the window of a bathroom because she was so unhappy with the circumstances. And It's not true, but it is fantastic drama. And so Heidi was introduced, Heidi Range. So at that point, the lineup was Keisha Buchanan, uh, Mutti uh, Buena, and uh, Heidi Range. And then they obviously got big, which was with like me. with with Freak Like Me and then Round Round uh, coming from their second album. They went through a couple more lineup changes, first in 2006 with Muttia leaving the band uh, to pursue a solo career. And then again in 2009 when Keisha was kicked out quite unceremoniously. We can talk about Amelba Rapper and Jade Ewan, but I don't want to because I don't care. Oh. <laughs> really? So it's a band that's been through many changes, but always a focus on electronic sounds. Being young, cool, and hip was kind of their brand, where where Girls Aloud had mass appeal. Sugar Babes were trying to tell you that they were cool, or at least the people in control of Sugar Babes were trying to tell you that they were cool first. There was always meant to be something icy about them, wasn't there? Yes, yeah. There was always like the, a lot was played up about how they hated each other or they fought with each other and they were all grumpy and mean sulky teens sulky teens and it never left them even when they were like obviously in their twenty, like mid-twenties what they are at the core is three vocalists at any point really three vocalists with really great harmonies an interesting take on songwriting however involved they were in it and some genuinely good pop songs and some terrible album tracks the, like the songs that jump out for me are always the singles and they had this kind of like throbbing electro pop types you know single at their core was what they did so but what is it about them so is it an underdog thing is it like finding an affinity with the outsider in the pop scene or the you know the one that doesn't fit the one that's a bit odd the one that people criticize from the outside is is that i so this is actually a, a really interesting thing for me because i think it brings up one of the ways in which obsessions come about for me at least uh and that's nostalgia when I was eight or nine, I was going through a difficult time in my life. And one of the things that I remember most about that time, actually, is not so much the difficult parts, but the bits of media that ended up getting stuck in my head. Uh, and I've listened to the album Angels with Dirty Faces at least a hundred times as a child. And so when two years ago now, I sort of unearthed some videos of the sugar babes doing a horrendous dance to the song that you've just listened to i became so obsessed with how they came to be i became obsessed with why they were the way they were and i also became obsessed because it got me in touch with a bit of an inner child i think that speaks to interest in general i think things that can spark a childlike joy are really appealing to us. I was going to say, it's just really interesting how it feels like to me there's something almost hard-coded in it. Like it's nostalgic, but it's it's very deeply rooted. I, if you think about personality a bit like an onion, it's something that's right near the root of it, you know? Yeah, well, uh, as an ogre, I am like an onion. Okay. That's a reference, <laughs> to, a... That's a reference to the movie Shrek, B. Well, I never had a childhood, so I don't know. 
Well, it was in 2001. It was past when you would have had a childhood anyway. Yeah, I never knew anything like that. (laughs) (laughs) But I can tell you about obscure Greek folk music. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that struck me as well, and I think this this definitely overlaps with some of my obsessions, is there's, there's an air of mystery about them. Yes. Like when I think about the sugar babes... You know, the story of their formation, the arguments that went on behind the scenes, all of that. There was a lot of mystery because they didn't seem to be the most talkative of people. And it did create this air of mystery around what, what they actually did. <laughs> you know, I think that can really, mystery and obsession can be quite closely linked, I think. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because w- when one cannot know all of the parts, it makes the parts you can't know more tantalising. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think it's the reason that literature still exists in the way it does is because if literature was a shopping list of all the things that happened, it wouldn't be nearly thrilling. It's it's in the inference, in the subtext. It's one of the reasons why I'm not obsessed with it anymore, but it's one of the reasons why I was so obsessed with Finnegan's Wake. Oh, yeah. Okay. So for a primer on Finnegan's Wake. Irish writer called James Joyce, modernist. So we're talking about people that explored the form and language of literature generally and tried to really kind of disrupt it as a, as a form. He didn't write that many books, even though he's a household name. His first published work, major published work, was Dubliners, which was a collection of short stories. Gradually, his text then got more ambitious. So he wrote a long-form novel called a portrait of the artist as a young man, which played with styles. Seven years passed and he wrote Ulysses, which is a huge doorstop of a book. Maybe his most well-known work as well. Yeah, largely told through stream of consciousness, but it's very protean in that it keeps shifting forms and it's very, very planned. So although it's a stream of consciousness, it's got this very complex structure underneath it where Joyce mapped out themes and colours for every chapter. and I say themes and colours, there is a full diagram of all the different things he wanted to encapsulate in each chapter. But it was very mysterious. The book first appeared to be really impenetrable, and it was only after people spent a lot of time with it, it started to make more sense. About 19 years passed, I think. And then his next book was released, which was called Finnegan's Wake. And whereas Ulysses tracked the life, essentially tracked the life of a man in Dublin during the day, Finnegan's Wake was designed to be a book of the night. So it follows the falling asleep and the dream of someone called Humphrey Clampton Earwicker, or HCE, which also stands for Here Comes Everybody. And... His wife, ALP, or Anna Livia Plurabel. And the idea is that it's meant to encapsulate almost all of the subconscious. <laughs> it's not ambitious then. It's not ambitious no. at all. But it's very mysterious because it's written in its own language. And the idea is that that language represents the kind of sleep language. is the kind of way your thoughts might work when you're asleep. But the introduction to it that I read before I started reading the book itself talked about how scientists had found 
formulas or something. They found some kind of evidence of cybernetics in it. No, really? But yeah, they. I think the point they were trying to make in the introduction is that you can find anything you want in it. Like if, if you want it to be about, say, gender, you can make it about purely gender and you can find evidence to support that. If you want it to be about colonialism, you can do the same because each word itself could have a lot of meanings. It's also a circular book. The last sentence finishes halfway through the beginning of the first sentence. I was going to say, what, what it reminds me of is images of fractals in that there is this complex big picture, but you zoom in and the picture shows more complexity and you get closer and it shows more complexity and there's an infiniteness to what has been created there. Yeah, I think it is like that. And Finnegan's Wake, even now, there's definitely something about it that although I don't read it every day, it lives in me almost every day. I don't know if you would feel the same way you do about sleep states if you hadn't have read Finnegan's Wake. No, absolutely. If we talk about topics that we frequently return to, there are things like obsession that come up, but sleep states is a big one for you. Huge, yeah, absolutely huge. And it's, it all has its roots in Finnegan's Wake, in, in its current concept. Oh no, it doesn't all have its roots. This is an interesting point, actually, about obsession, I guess, that it, there's something in me anyway, which resonates, but then it gives me a frame for it. There's something for me in how we dissolve in sleep, how our senses of self dissolve, how our boundaries become malleable. We kind of become like liquid almost when we're asleep. Our thoughts become very flowing and, I'm going to use that word again, protein, which just means, I think it derives from like the Greek Greek god Proteus. It's the idea that you can change shape. Oh, I thought... Proteus, I think. I thought it was one of the major food groups. <laughs> protein. Yeah. Pro, pro, protein carbohydrate and fat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like, I, I think that um, it is a major, major influence for me. So I don't know if you would be okay with this, but would you mind reading a section of Finnegan's Wake for the listeners? Yeah, okay, sure. I was actually just thinking about some of the stuff we've talked about. So I, I don't want to try and find a universal rule. But for me, my obsession with, with the Finnegan's Wake, I think it comes from a place of trying to understand myself, you know. I think it's the idea that I've always had a jumbled up identity. And so there's something about sleep and how it dissolves us. But I would never have had that framework if it wasn't for Finnegan's Wake. I know I know the structures of identity, but I don't fit in them. And I'm desperately trying to find ways to exist within them. So, yeah. So I'm going to read a section. Just let me give you a spoiler warning. It's from the end. It's from the end and then to the beginning. I'm going to read you that, that crossover point. As far as I understand it, this is the reminiscence of Anna Livia Plorabel, who is HTE's wife. And I think she's meant to represent... You're going to, this is an example. Like She's meant to represent all mothers, all rivers, <laughs> all water. <laughs> she, she is like this massive all-encompassing character, as an implorable might imply, actually. But I think this is her resonance. And I think the idea here is that the language is getting lighter as we're approaching a waking state. So I'm going to read it through and I'm going to... I'll, I'll let you know when it's the crossover. Okay? Yes, you're changing, son-husband. And you're turning. I can feel you for a daughter-wife from the hills again. Imla Maya, she is coming, 
swimming in my hind moist, divil taking on me tail. Just a whisk, brisk, sly, spry, spink, spank, sprint of a thing, there's some air, saltering, salterella, come to her own. I, I pity your old self I was used to. Now a younger's there, try not to part. Be happy, dear ones. May I be wrong, for she'll be as sweet for you as I was sweet when I came down out of me mother. My great blue bedroom, the air so quiet, scarce a cloud, in peace and silence I could have stayed there for always only. It's something fails us. First we feel, then we fall. And let her reign now if she likes, gently or strongly as she likes. Anyway, let her reign for my time there is come. I'd done my best when I was let, thinking always, if I go, all goes. A hundred cares, a tithe of troubles, and is there one who understands me? One in a thousand years of the nights? All my life I've been living among them, but now they are becoming loath to me. And I am loathing their little warm tricks and loathing their mean cosy turns, and all the greedy gushes out through their small souls, and all the lazy leaks down over their brash bodies. How small it's all, and me letting on to myself always, and lilting on all the time. I thought you were all glittering with the noblest of carriage. You're only a bumpkin. I thought you the great in all things, in guilt and in glory. You're but a puny. Home. My people were not their sort out beyond there so far I can. For all the bold and bad and bleary they are blamed, the sea hags. No, nor for all our wild dances and all their wild din. I can see myself among them. Alla, Alaniuvia Plucrabeld. How she was handsome, the wild Amazia, when she would seize to my other breast. And what is she weird, haughty Niluna, that she would snatch from my ownest hair? For tis they are the stormies. Ho, hang, hang, ho. In the clash of tis they are the stormies, and the clash of our cries till we spring to be free. Or of all, they says, never heed if ye name, but I'm loathing them that's there and all I loathe, lonely in me loneness. For all their faults I am passing out, oh bitter ending, I'll slip away before they're up, they'll never see, no, no, no miss me, and it's old, and it's sad, and old, and sad, and weary, I go back to ye, my cold father, my cold bad father, my cold mad father, my cold mad fiery father, till the near sight of the mere size of him, the moils and moils of it, moan and moaning, makes me sea silt salt sick, and I rush my only into your arms, I see them rising, save me from those terrible problems, Two more, one, two Mormons more. So, Avalaval, my leaves have drifted from me. All but one clinks still. I'll bear it on me to remind me of. <laughs> so soft this morning, ours. Yes, carry me along, Taddy, like you done through the toy fair. If I seen him bearing down on me now under white spread wings, like he come from archangels, I sink, I die down over his feet, humbly dumbly, only to wash up. Yes, Tid, there's where. First, we pass through grass, behush the bush to whish! A gull, gulls, far calls, coming, far. End here, us then, Finn, again, take, bus of thee, memo me, till thousands thee, lips, the keys to, given, away, alone, our last, our loved, our long, the. And then we go back to the very beginning of the book. River run, past even Adams, from swerve of shore to bend of bay, brings us by a commodious vicus of recirculation back to Howth Castle and environs. 
Oh. It's so good, isn't it? And just to point out, we, we finish with Anne Olivia Plorabelle and we arrive back at Health, Castle and Environs, which are all capitalised. Sorry, like, as in proper nouns, H-C-E. And we go back into his narrative. It's just astonishing, isn't it? And I don't think listening listening to it now. I think you did a fantastic job, by the way. I think listening to well, thank it, you. listening to it now, there's not a clear sense that it is solely her view. It wends and wanes into any number of perspectives. It's woman as all women. It's woman as all mankind. It's woman. Absolutely, exactly, exactly. And so phenomenally. Um, it's hypnotic and I like the idea of a river taking you back somewhere, but a river can never take you back anywhere. It goes one way. It's a circular river. I think that's the idea. I mean, you're absolutely right. And I think it does. I mean, she, she references there, you know, Amazia, Amazon River, the Nile. I'm sure there are other references in there as well. Sea hags to be blamed. Yes, exactly. Oh gosh, exactly. <laughs> part of it's in the reading but also did you not find out so I was reading it there were things that are like oh I know what that means or that makes sense and and it just shows how how pluralistic the whole thing is anyway that thank you for letting me indulge my obsession of Finnegan's Wake I love it because it's just a lot of literature a lot of music a lot of things that we do we try and make sense of the world there's that thing about seeing the entire world in a grain of sand or something you know the William Blake line I love that, that how you described it as a fractal. There's something about the kind of the, that fractality of Finnegan's Wake. It's like, good luck. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Took me 19 years to write this. It's going to take you about twice as long to read it. Precisely. And I think Joyce said such a joke about that at the time. But that's what being human is like, though, you know? Like, we're always changing. We're always multiples. We're always flowing. We're always fractals, you know? I love that. And I can feel myself getting carried away on a tide of purple prose. So thank you for letting me <laughs> indulge my obsession with Finnegan's Wake. No, thank you for bringing it to us. So we've had Sugar Babes. We've had Finnegan's Wake. <laughs> I, so let me, I'm going to try my best, dear, dear sister, to encapsulate some of the discussion we've had so far. So we've shared some of our obsessions, right? You've talked about Sugar Babes and played the majestic Overload. I've rambled about Finnegan's Wake and read the closing section of it. You know, for me, it was about giving form to something that I've always struggled with and then finding that that particular thing just never stopped giving to me, I guess. I could never get to the bottom of it. I could never solve it or resolve it. And then you were talking about the sugar babes and saying about how, it for you, it's, it's this kind of rooted nostalgia and maybe an, an element of um, the outsider as well. Yeah. In an obsession, there has to be a depth to it. One one would struggle to be obsessed with a shallow puddle. Yeah, I, I think so, yeah. I mean, it's a big statement to make, and I bet like a million people are like, no. I'm willing to go out on a ledge on that one. <laughs> Do it. I mean, you're only going to fall into a shallow puddle, aren't you? Like, the, the thing is that, can you be obsessed with something when you fully understand it, it's a, it's a big thing, isn't it? It's like yeah. people always talk about, you know, if you analyse something, if you really analyse something, if you delve into it, will it run out of its magic? Will you cease to be obsessed with it? Generally, people say no. Is that it's what I've, from conversations I've had with people. But... but I don't know if that's true. Right, okay. I think that really interestingly brings me to another thing that I've been thinking about recently. I don't know if you're aware of limerence. Limerence? Yes. No, I'm not. 
So to give a bit of background on limerence, it was a term coined by Dorothy Tenov, who's a psychologist, and I think it was in the late 70s. And what it describes is the state of early love, of the honeymoon period, of what is an almost obsessive, addictive quality to falling in love with someone. And she argues that it's psychologically distinct um, and is in fact the result of a biochemical reaction that the release of things like uh, norepinephrine and dopamine, as well as hormones, produce euphoria, which we attach to uh, when we're in new love, which uh, becomes addictive very, very quickly. And it's some, it's an experience that I've had before that when this limerence goes away, when I feel like I know a thing, that I get a come down that's as oh, wow. big as it is wide. That's really interesting. That is really, really interesting. We both have experiences, dear listeners, of obsessive love, I would say. I think that's fair, right? Yeah, absolutely. Is there any other kind? <laughs> I mean, we have experiences of obsessive love with each other. <laughs> Yeah, no, to really yeah. pull back the curtain on this one. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Just for a bit more education on limerence, Tenov identified a few of the core characteristics of limerence. I'd like to read some of them for you if that's okay. Yeah, no. <laughs> okay. Don't. Okay, radio show over. Go for it. So some of the characteristics that come up in limerence include idealization of the other person's characteristics, be they positive or negative uncontrollable and intrusive thoughts about the other person, shyness, nervousness, and confusion around the other person, fear of rejection and despair or thoughts of suicide if rejection occurs. Shit, welcome to my life. A sense of euphoria in response to real or perceived signs of reciprocation. It is lovely, isn't it, when you experience that? It really is. I'd like, this is not a, a judgment. No, I was reminiscing. I was reminiscing of like times in my life when I felt that. And just how it feels transcendent. It's just like, I've just taken all of the endorphins. <laughs> this is literally magic. Like my whole world has just changed kind of thing. You know, there's like new relationship energy I've heard referred to before. A massive infusion of energy. Yeah. Yeah. I've been chasing that high so thoroughly this year. At the start of the year, I was running about 60 concurrent conversations with various people of various genders online or i think genuinely looking for that dopamine release to put it in the most biochemical terms very yeah scientific i don't know the thing is though i so i think that that's quite a downbeat thing so i'm going to take the more you know being a child of parents that um, have been married for 40 years and are still really really sweet i'm going to take the romantic view that i i think that it is a change. I think that that state of limerence is very, very exciting. And I think it can act as a wonderful shot of energy into someone's life. I think that it can also paper over a lot of cracks in yourself or in your relationship with that person. And I'm going to be an advocate for the joy of that while acknowledging the slower joy of what it can then become. Yes. So part of Dorothy Tennell's research was into a distinction between limerence and love. Oh, wow. Okay. Please say more. They can coexist. Um, yeah. That generally speaking, limerence is not absolutely addictive. It happens to everyone. Everyone gets that, that dump of dopamine and norepinephrine. But 
it doesn't mean that it defines you um and it's about how it, it it's about how you transition from a limerent phase to a state of copacetic love I, I guess that transition point that's that that is where i guess a lot of couples break but i want here's a here's a messy question for you oh please do you think queer people are more susceptible to explosive limerence as in oh my god i'm obsessed with this person we're moving in after a day and then two months later oh my god it was the worst relationship ever <laughs> they're terrible and it all falls apart <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's um playing relationships on frenzy mode isn't it yeah i, I i've definitely done it in the past yeah me too <laughs> we we've done it together in the past we have done it together yeah but we've seen it we've seen our friends do it as yes well. yeah uh time and again you know, if you can say, like, look, on balance, right, queer people might have had more difficult upbringings than non-queer people, right? Sure. And so queer people might have more trauma and maybe some more mental health challenges. Well, it's what they say about privilege, isn't it? But while you may not have had an easy life if you weren't queer, it just means that you didn't have the struggles that came attached to being queer. And so there's like a separate set of struggles that doesn't unilaterally affect queer people, but it... It's an open room full of pain. Which which I think makes you more invested in limerence. <laughs> I mean, literally, I'm not trying to psychopathologize you or something, if that's the right word. Oh, sure. But you said, like, you know, you were looking for that limerence state. You know, you were searching for it. Uh, the reality of it is, for me, is I, I haven't really had many relationships that haven't been queer, like, really specifically queer. So I don't know the other side. Yeah, and I feel blessed. I I doubt that she's listening, but I I feel really blessed that um, I was able to experience the straight side of relationships before I transitioned. I was able to experience some of the, some of the stability. And there's a very nice narrative mapped out, you know? And I don't know. I think it's harder. I, I, I don't know. I literally, I am no expert and everyone has to walk their own path and everyone's relationship is different. But certainly in my experience, I am grateful. I think the tools that I learned from having that straight relationship have enabled me to have good queer relationships. I came to terms with being queer, whether that be in gender or sexuality. I remember really distinctly saying, okay, I'm going to put away these childish things. And the childish things for me being like a wife and two kids living in a, yeah, right. a country house. Like there's a very conscious process of distancing myself from <laughs> yeah. the narrative. Yeah, exactly. You kind of just think, well, it's not for me. So like, I'm just going to try my best to figure out a different way. So is, is limerence one of your obsessions then? Is that what you're saying? That like you are obsessed with that state of lim- like being in that state? I, I think just as a broader discussion about obsession and love, I think it's a really interesting thing to talk about. Um, and I'm going to ask you a heavy question. Sorry. Ask me a heavy question. I'll ask you the heavy question, right? Why? Why, why, why were you obsessed with it? Is what I'm saying. It's a, it's a really interesting thing. And I think the reason why I've been searching for that feeling of limerence is because I've been going through a difficult time. Again, I am completely alone in this and no one is going through a difficult time at the moment. <laughs> Everyone's just having it as easy as can be. And I am alone in feeling bad. I do not get obsessed with my exercise bike as a way of avoiding my feelings. <laughs> you are on your own. <laughs> I don't do this. I don't do this. <laughs> I, I knew from the get-go, really, that emotional difficulties were provoking me to search for a feeling of happiness. 
beyond that, I don't. I, this is a very cold uh, way of viewing it. When I say this, I'm I'm analysing some undertones that are also accompanied by a genuine enjoyment of romance of other people. I really do like other people, which I think puts me in a strange camp. Yeah, are you going to say that you're some kind of sociopath or something? No, I'm going to say that I'm an empath. Uh, I'm just so empathic. Uh. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> there are a lot of people that identify as empaths. I know. <laughs> just say it. Yeah, I, I'm okay. making a joke. I don't identify as an empath. I think people that do might not be as em- empathetic as they think they are, but that's a story for another time. Wow. Okay, we just lost a few listeners. Go for it. <laughs> well, if you understood where I was coming from, then you wouldn't leave, would you, empath? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> I think it's very, very cold to say I am solely seeking out limerence. Well, when in fact what I'm doing is interacting with people I find interesting, fostering positive connections and having some really enjoyable moments in what is a difficult period. Wow, you sound like a textbook. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> and I have had that. Um, I'm currently in the throes of a new relationship at the moment and it is very nice. You're experiencing that beautiful feeling. Yes, I am. And I'm trying not to treat it as addictive. I think knowledge is power and being aware of our own behaviours as well as like general human behaviours is the most positive tool we have for acting better in the future. So I, I'm learning from my mistakes. Agree. Like I found what works for me in those situations and it's taking it really slowly, but it's very difficult to do that because it just feels so damn good. And in fact, um, there is something that I'd like to play. Oh, amazing. Wonderful. We are meant to be playing songs. Yes, we are at some point, right? What is it going to be? Yeah, what's it going to be? I've not found any pieces of media that discuss limerence very well, but there is actually a TV show called Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which does a fantastic job of it. So what the show is, is it's an hour of US comedy, which includes songs. And it's a broad discussion on being a woman being jewish having mental health issues love love addiction and i think it's really really fascinating and if i could play a song for you i think i'd play we'll never have problems again which is from season two and i think really encapsulates some of the feelings of limerence Hello, that was fun. In it? Yeah. I love the costume. Yes, so do I. So for those who haven't seen the show, that song is played at a sort of 70s Soul Train style disco moment at a point in the, in the relationship where everything's just new and fresh and going a little bit obsessive. But I think it, yeah, it does a really good job of capturing that feeling that love can solve all of our problems and we're just going to leap into it don't worry about it yeah so i'd like to share with you an obsession of mine which is d'angelo you've never heard me speak about d'angelo before who's d'angelo well let me tell you so d'angelo is an american musician musicians they're the ones that make sounds right yeah i guess broadly okay some some do some don't he sings, he plays instruments, guitar, piano, bass, probably other things as well, probably drums, probably everything. Guitar, those are the ones with the strings. Some do, some have strings. <laughs> <laughs> D'Angelo. 
Yeah. Don't think is very well known in the UK, at least not in the in the communities that, that I or friends groups I've had that I've been part of. And it's such a tragedy and it heightens my obsession. I think it I think it mirrors your sugar babes with the outsider of like almost feeling like this is incredible. You're not paying attention to this absolute magnificence in your midst. And it's really sad. And I need to try and tell you that this is wrong. Oh, well, this is interesting, isn't it? Because I think there is something of obsessions that makes you want to proselytize. Yeah, absolutely. Which as a Jewish person, I think you should really feel guilty about. <laughs> Look, buddy. <laughs> proselytizing a great singer over forcibly converting millions of people. Slightly different. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I first became aware of D'Angelo when I saw the video for his song untitled, How Does It Feel? Which I think a lot of people did. Yes, I think it's his, it's his most popular single by far and famous for the video as much as anything else. Exactly. And, and the video... It'll go from a shot of him biting his lip uh, to pan down to his six-pack... Yeah, like it, it's it, it's very sexual, Steamy. and the song itself is yeah, and the song itself is as well. The song is absolutely about sex and orgasm and, and the joys of that. And I thought it was a great song. Like I was raised with soul music. Um, I think it's quite common among. Um, I don't like the term, but like BAME communities to have an affinity with black music. And I know, like, I was raised in a house where, and maybe this speaks to the nostalgia as well, I was raised in a house by, where my dad's music was dominant, and my dad's music was a mixture of lots of things. But my dad being Moroccan, there was this huge identification with soul music. So, like, Wilson Pickett Records, Aretha Franklin, Otis Redding, Lou Rawls, like, whoever, Sam and Dave. But the thing is with D'Angelo is that when he first appeared on the scene, he was another R&B singer a really good R&B singer. There was a lot going on there musically. You could hear the bass, you could hear the production, you could hear that it was organic. It was made by incredibly talented musicians. But his myth started to develop when there was a five-year gap between his first album and his second album, which was called Voodoo. And then when Voodoo came out, it was this long suite. So the songs flow into it about 70 minutes long of just really deep deep kind of funk music soulful r&b yeah but it's got this kind of repetitiveness this hypnotic element up to it which is like kind of groove music very very hypnotic and very african you know so you, you can just listen to the rhythms of that album i could just listen to the rhythms of it just the instrumentals just the bass and the drums would be enough for me it can feel myself getting excited. I'm still obsessed with it. Anyway, this album, Voodoo, it, and that song, Untitled, which came from Voodoo, made him into this pop star and sex symbol. But it was, it was pretty clear that he wasn't kind of cut from that cloth. Like, the, the performances that they would give, it was this band that featured and backing vocals. You had Anthony Hamilton. He's now gone on to have this incredible career as an R&B singer. Probably lots of other incredible people that I don't know, but Questlove was the drummer. Questlove, of the, the, he, he's in The Roots and now Jimmy Fallon's house band. An incredible drummer, one of the best. Pino Palladino on bass, an incredible bassist. Um, and Voodoo was also recorded in adjacent studios to other projects that were going on the time, at the time. And 
There was a recording project by Common, Light Water for Chocolate, which also was a classic album. Seminal. Erica Badu's Mama's Gun. Seminal! So you had this like mythos that built up around it, which is that um, you just had musicians going from each session. Just go, like It was just this collaborative atmosphere, people nipping into each other's recording rooms. I've heard stories from Questlove talking about the recording of it, where they would just leave the tapes running and they would just jam for hours. It was almost just like a, not a boot camp, but just a space of existing for, I don't know how long the recording process was, but it was a long time. His, 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 his kind of mystery, and he wasn't very prone to giving interviews either. So this, this was all building up around him. People were becoming obsessed with him, not just me, but like, obviously he was a very, very potent sex symbol. And his live shows would be like hours long, these massive cathartic events. But then he became really uncomfortable with being seen as just a sex symbol. Yeah. Apparently, we don't know for sure that's what people say. And he just disappeared. So, yeah, he, he, he disappeared for this long, long time and then came back with this album called Black Messiah, which is of a piece with Voodoo, but it's much more political. So I found Black Messiah intoxicating straight away. I couldn't fully make out what he, he was saying. But there were these really dense rhythms. The bass was so high up in the mix. Like it overpowered everything else. I was like, who is making, how is this mainstream music? You know, I'm like, this is experimental stuff. But it was also, it had that soul element too. And obviously the more I listen to it, the more I become familiar with it. I'm like, no, this is pretty accessible. We've gone far too long without playing a song. Yeah, I think so. I, I think that I would like to share a song by D'Angelo. Yeah. Surprise. Oh my God. Um, Who's D'Angelo again? I'm going to go with the song that made me a real lover of D'Angelo, which is a really, really heavy, oppressive song called A Thousand Deaths. And I'm just going to read you a couple of the lyrics quickly. So um, I'll just read you a little bit of it. It says, I can't believe I can't get over my fear. They're going to send me over the hill. The moment of truth is near. They're going to send me over the hill. I can't believe I'm so caught up in the thrill and nothing's going to change my will. Locked and loaded up and I know the drill. They're going to send me over the hill. And then the conclusion of the chorus is because a coward dies a thousand times, but a soldier only dies just once, once, once. Yeah, where, yeah, who's sure? He don't want no coward soldier. Stick it in the golden sand. Must have not heard my prayer. So yeah, I'm going to play a thousand deaths. It's good, isn't it? Oh, it's phenomenal. I, I get I get what you're saying. Like it is there is something really hard to read about it. It it's not inviting. Like the bass and the drums are inviting, but it's not lyrically like here is a pop song about love. Um <laughs> let, let me explain my um my mission statement in ten words or less. No, exactly. Exactly. There's just something about it. That was that was my gateway. I heard that and became completely obsessed. Then became obsessed with Black Messiah, and then became obsessed with VD. Mm. Never been as obsessed with, Black, with Brown Sugar, yeah. but I will be at some point. I just it took me about three or four years to finish my obsession with Black Messiah and be able to listen to VD. You have in no way finished your obsession with Black Messiah. No, I haven't. But his albums are just so all encompassing for me. The places that I go and stay, you know, like I I, I live there. It's like I talk about Finnegan's Weight being like a daily obsession of mine. I think about D'Angelo almost every day. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a really interesting point to talk about what we've talked about today. Because we can explore what D'Angelo, and specifically the album Black Messiah, 
means to you through what we've already discussed because what it sounds like is it is entrenched in your histories in uh, relating to being african in the music of your family of your father in particular and so it has that element of nostalgia yeah i think it, it absolutely it has that element of the past mixed with kind of current obsessions of mine or more like ever ever present obsessions of mine like really incredible musicians yeah rhythms authenticity authenticity um, integrity as well like i always think of d'angelo as a musician of like the highest integrity that's probably idealizing maybe it's a bit of limerence in that long limerence limerence can last up to 15 years according to dorothy tenoff so well there you go <laughs> yep yeah. hit that 15 year mark though and bye-bye yeah that's it I'm on, then I'm on to Erica Badu. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've been in limerence with Erica Badu for at least 10 years, so I'm right there with you on that one. Yeah. Well, it's been really good to chat through obsessions with you, yeah. dear sister. My sister, my sister. I really enjoyed it. I'd, so have I. Uh, when it comes to what you're obsessed with, we'd like to know. We've barely scratched the surface, but I think it's really interesting. You're doing a radio personality again. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Um, go on Anna do it uh, you're the front person it's happening do it. do it. it's happening go on go out front we talked about some of the things that we're obsessed with and we talked about some of the reasons why we got obsessed with it but I'm curious as to what you are obsessed with and why you're obsessed with it I think the ways in which we relate to media to people to love these things are fascinating and I'm curious to hear what you've got to say so if you want to talk to us you can find us on most social media platforms at bringing up the queer where we'd love to hear from you yeah i really would right it's been really lovely to talk to you and i'm really grateful to whoever was listening to listen hope you enjoyed it blah 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 have a nice week have a good time have a fantastic stay safe stay safe jesus christ protect lives save the nhs get a vaccine if you're offered it clap for yourself i guess Clap for yourself. Yeah, that should be it. Clap for yourself. Yeah. Clap for everyone. Clap for yourself. Go out there, but clap for you. You made it this yeah. fucking far. Jesus. Great, kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You got this. You're doing great, kid. We got you. <laughs>